0: Thank you, John. Who can tell me the name of this building? That is the Tower of Pisa, better known as the Leaning Tower of Pisa. And where would you find the Leaning Tower of Pisa? In Pisa. It's actually in Italy, but that's the city where it's located. This bell tower began to tilt during construction because the ground on one side was soft it was not solid enough to support the foundation and the weight of the tower, which is about 180 feet high. And so over the years, a number of efforts have been made to stabilize the structure and to partially correct the tilt. Now, of course, there's an important lesson here. If you want to build a tower that is tall and straight, make sure that you have a firm what? Foundation. Now, in a similar way, if you want to build a business, you need a firm foundation. A number of years ago, I read a book by Jim Collins. It was called Built to Last. It was a study of why some businesses succeed over time and others don't. And one of the main points of this book is that in order for a business to last, it has to be built on a set of principles and core values that do not change over time. And those principles and core values form the foundation for a business. One time a young Jewish man who left his family business to start his own enterprise was speaking to a group of people about foundations. And he wasn't talking about a building foundation. He wasn't talking about a business foundation. He was talking about a foundation for our lives. In fact, as he talked about a number of practical issues, he made an incredibly bold claim. Many of you are probably familiar with it because this is what he said. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse With a mighty crash. Essentially, this young man, this young Jewish man, was saying that the only way to have a strong foundation for your life is to obey his teaching. Now, who in the world would have the audacity to say something like that? Jesus Christ. And his teaching raises an important question, and it's right there on your outline. Why do you need a strong foundation for your life? The answer is fairly obvious because we all get hit by storms. Isn't that true? Sometimes the storms that hit our lives are beyond our control. Sometimes we ourselves create the storms that come into our lives. Sometimes they are caused by other people. Right now we're preparing to launch a new ministry in our church. It's designed for people who are going through a storm and it's called Stephen ministry. We have 11 people who are being trained to serve as Stephen ministers. And they're often called the after people. Because they come alongside someone after the accident, after the divorce, after the job loss, after the operation, after all kinds of things come in to people's lives. And the truth is that sooner or later we will face storms. In fact, sooner or later the people we love will face storms in their lives. And so the question I want us to focus on this morning is this, how can you build a strong foundation for your life? And here's a starting point, this is on your outline, make a commitment to obey Jesus' teaching in every area of your life. Make a commitment to obey Jesus' teaching in every area of your life. In Matthew's biography of Jesus, there are four in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When he tells a story, when Jesus tells the story of the wise and the foolish builder, it comes at the end of a sermon. And the sermon has been called the Sermon on the Mount because it was delivered on the side of a mountain. And if you ever look in your Bible at Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, and you read the headings, you'll see the topics that Jesus addressed in this sermon. And he talks about very practical issues. He talks about how to find true happiness in life, how to find God's blessing in your life. He talks about anger and adultery and divorce and revenge and forgiveness. He talks about money. He talks about anxiety and priorities and prayer. And after teaching about all of these topics, Jesus says that the wise person, the person who wants to build their house, their life on a strong foundation, will do this. They will take his teaching, all of his teaching, and put it into practice in their lives. Now, there's another place in the Bible that we find the story of the two builders. It's in Luke chapter 6. And it's really interesting because Jesus is quoted by Luke before Luke tells the story. And this is what Jesus says in Luke 6.46. So, why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say. The word Lord in this verse could also be translated master and think about some of the ways that we use that word master. Sometimes we use it to describe somebody with great skill. He's a master electrician. Sometimes we use it to describe academic achievement. She has a master's degree. Sometimes we use it to describe financial status. Oh he has a MasterCard Sometimes we use it to describe somebody who thinks they're in complete control of a situation. I am the master of my fate. Now when we say that Jesus is our master, we're recognizing his authority, his knowledge, his wisdom, his control over all things. And there's one essential word that characterizes your response to somebody who is your master. And the word is this, obedience. And that's what Jesus is concerned about when he makes his statement. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Now, obviously, Jesus is concerned because there are people, apparently, who are saying, hey, Lord, we want to follow you. We want to be your disciple. But they are not taking the teaching of Jesus and putting it into practice in every area of their lives. Now, why is Jesus upset about this? And here's the reason, because he loves the people that he's teaching And Jesus knows this, when we fail to apply his teaching to every area of our lives, we are in fact eroding the foundation of our lives. Now in just a few moments, we're going to look at some places where we are prone to do that, but first I want to consider a very important principle, and it's on your outline. Remember that the proper, the best motivation for obedience is love. The proper motivation, the best motivation for obedience is love. Now, if you're a parent or if you've ever had a parent, I want to ask you a couple of questions this morning. So put on your thinking caps, and here's the first. Parents, do you want your kids to obey you? Do you? Are we in agreement there? Can you just kind of nod your head? Because we have to have something to start with, okay? You want your kids to obey you. All right, here's the follow-up question. What is the purpose of the rules you want your kids to obey? And the fact is, there are a number of purposes. One purpose would be to protect them, right? Hey, don't play in the street. Um, don't get into a car with a stranger. Don't text and drive. Those rules are designed to protect our kids, and we want them to obey those rules. Here's another purpose for rules: to help our children achieve their potential. Hey, study hard. Don't give up. Do your best. And there's another purpose: to help them develop their character. You should always tell the truth. Forgive your brother. Be patient with your sister. Those rules are designed to develop character. Now, parents, think about this. Why do you want your kids to obey you? And hopefully the answer isn't so that I'll look really good with the other parents in the neighborhood. I mean, the real reason should be because I love my kids and I want what's best for them. Could we agree on that, parents? All right, so consider this question then. Why or what do you want to motivate your kids to obey you? What do you want their motivation to be for obedience? Because it can be a number of different things. It could be fear. Children can be afraid that if they don't obey their parents, there's going to be some really serious consequences. Isn't that true? What about reward? Could that be a motivation for obedience? Well, sure. Because if I do this, then my parents will give me that. Sometimes that's the chief parenting style of some moms and dads. But think about this. The very best, the very strongest motivation For obedience is what? Yeah, it's love. This is what Jesus said. If you love me, keep my commands. If you really love me, keep my commands. Now, I want to read something to you. This is from John chapter 15. This is Jesus speaking, and he's talking to his disciples just before he lays down his life for them on the cross. This is in chapter 15, verse 9. Jesus says, as a father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. And then Jesus says this, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Now, church, listen carefully. Obedience motivated by love brings joy. Let me say that again. It's so important. Obedience, motivated by love, brings joy. And it brings joy not just to the one who's giving the commands, but to the one who is following the commands. And this principle from Jesus is critical for us to understand how people change. I talk to people on a regular basis about the issue of addiction. And there are all kinds of addictions that people struggle with. Sometimes it's drugs or alcohol or shopping or sex or pornography. All kinds of addictions, and the key question is this, what will it take to motivate you to change your behavior? And sometimes the motivation is fear. Sometimes I'm talking to guys that are addicted to pornography and they're afraid that their wife is going to find out if she hasn't already or that it's going to destroy their marriage or their family. And so that's one motivation. Sometimes there's a motivation of reward. You know, if I, if I stop doing this, it'll be good for me and good for the people that I care about. But the strongest motivation to change is love. When you love Jesus so much that you want to please Him and bring joy to His heart. And that's why, really, the very best strategy to break free from an addiction is to deepen your relationship with Christ so that you love Jesus more than you love your sin. Now, that brings us to this next way to build a solid foundation for your life, number three. Be aware of the ways you are prone to compromise Jesus' teaching. Be aware of the ways you're prone, because we all are, in some ways, to compromise Jesus' teaching. Now, I came up with a, a quick outline here, three areas of potential compromise, and you can see the letters there. Can you read down your list there? Do they look familiar? Yeah, PMS. Now, I'll tell you what that stands for in just a minute, but did you know that the pastors sometimes suffer from PMS? But it stands for this, pre-message syndrome. That's when on Saturday night, if you haven't finished your message, you get really cranky and upset. Well, let, me, let me give you the, uh, the words here. The first letter is P, and it stands for power. Power. Jesus said this in John 15. He said, Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do how much? Nothing. It's important to be aware of ways that we are prone to compromise Jesus' teaching. And here's why. Because every time we compromise the teaching of Jesus, we erode the foundation of our lives. Here's a picture of a house whose foundation was eroded. It's what Jesus is talking about. And one way we compromise the teaching of Jesus is when we try to do this, when we try to live in our own strength. How many of you have ever tried to live in your own strength? Every time we do, we compromise the teaching of Jesus Christ because he said, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Apostle Paul said it this way in Philippians 4.13, I can do how much? All things. Through Christ who gives me strength. You know, a few weeks ago, we were talking about spiritual battles and spiritual warfare And one of the key principles, if you want to win those battles, is to depend on Christ's power and not your own. I talked about the verse in Ephesians, Ephesians 6.10, Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. And, And so, how can you tell how much you're relying on your own strength to deal with the storms and the stuff in your life? And here's the answer, look at your prayer life. Because here is the reality. The degree to which you pray is the degree to which you are depending on God. There was a movie released recently called War Room. How many of you have seen that movie, by the way? Several of you. Um, This movie is a reminder that prayer is really powerful, especially as storms come into our lives or the lives of people that we care about. In this movie, a wife named Elizabeth begins to pray seriously for her husband, Tony, who's flirting with a beautiful woman when he's away on a business trip. And when this woman invites him to go to her apartment, he's just about ready to go with her. And it's no coincidence that he gets so sick to his stomach that the entire evening is ruined. Imagine that. Wives, let me encourage you to pray every day for your husbands. And husbands, pray every day for your wives. And parents, pray for your kids. And kids pray. Pray for your moms and dads because prayer builds a strong foundation for our families. Now, if you're a Christian this morning, let me ask you this. Are there cracks developing in the foundation of your life because of how little you actually pray? And as I ask that question, I have to think about my own life. This morning before the sun came up, I was outside and I was praying and I was saying, you know, God, I, I know that I don't pray the way that you really want me to. I don't pray enough. And sometimes I don't pray with enough passion. And I know this, that, that prayer can actually change the outcome of future events. Do you believe that, church? Because see, the Bible teaches us, that it does. There's story after story that point out that our prayers make a difference because I've been asked this question. Well, if God's got it all figured out, why should I even pray? And here's the answer. Because God works together with our prayers to determine the outcome of the future in the lives of the people that we love and in our own life as well. And realize this. Let me encourage you. When you're praying today, you're preparing for tomorrow. You're building a stronger foundation for your life. Because when you pray, you're deepening. Your relationship with Jesus. And after all, when that storm hits you, Jesus is your foundation. I mean, Jesus is the one who holds you in his arms. Jesus is the one who will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus is the one who never changes. Jesus is your firm foundation. Well, here's another area in which we may be prone to compromise the teaching of Jesus. The first was what? You could tell me. Power, relying on ourselves. The second one is money money. Now we know that money often produces conflict and even anxiety in relationships. It's like the guy that was talking to his wife and said, listen, I'm really not worried about money. In fact, I never worry about money. She said, really? He said, yeah, I have enough money to last me the rest of my life as long as I die by next Tuesday. Money's a hot topic when it comes to marriage and families and relationships. And this is what Jesus said about money. He said this, and this is from the Sermon on the Mount, by the way. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moss eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. I got a phone call early on Friday morning from one of my kids because somebody had broken into their car right in front of their house. I was thinking, well, you know, that's... That's unfortunate, that's sad, but we shouldn't be surprised because Jesus said, hey, if you store up treasure here on earth, people are going to break in and steal your stuff. And so Jesus says, here's what you should do. Store up treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. I'd like for you to watch this brief video called Foundations. Foundations. Thank mm-hmm. you. Let me ask you this, why did Jesus say that it's a bad idea to base your security on money and possessions? Why is that a bad idea? Who can tell me? Why why is that a bad idea to base your security on money and possessions? Because you can lose them, exactly. How quickly can you lose them? Does anybody know how long a New York minute is? That's all it takes, right? Everything can change in a New York minute and you can lose your money and your possessions. Which is why Jesus said, here's the alternative, invest in the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God can never be lost. It will not and cannot ever fail. You know, as you read through the the New Testament and read the teaching of Jesus, what you find is that he talked an awful lot about money. And I think the reason why we see that is really pretty straightforward. It's because money affects relationships. Money affects our relationship with God and money affects our relationships with other people. Do you know the number one cause of divorce in America? Conflict over money. Financial pressures and problems drive a wedge between husbands and wives. And I want to say this, church. Every time that I have the opportunity to talk about this area of our lives, because it's just one of many areas, the area of finances and money. I want you to know that as your pastor, my focus is not on what I want from you. It's on what I want for you. And what I want for every single one of us is to have this this relationship with Jesus that's characterized by joy and peace and freedom because we're following his teaching in every area of our lives. And I know this, From personal experience that you cannot grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ if you disregard his teaching in any area of your life and that's true when it comes to money and finances too and there are some very clear principles in God's Word when it comes to the money equation Um, you know what's God's part of the equation well simply God owns everything And God is the provider of everything we need to accomplish His purpose in our lives. And what's our side of the money equation? Well, God calls us to manage His stuff. That's where the word steward comes from, a manager of somebody else's resources. All the stuff we have, it really belongs to God. We manage it for Him. And God wants us to be generous in giving to His work in the world. Now, often this question comes up, well, how much should I give to God and to His work in the world? How much should I give to my local church? There's a passage of Scripture that I think really helps us when we ask that question, and it was written by Paul. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and Paul basically uses this analogy from agriculture, and he says, look, those who sow sparingly reap sparingly, and those who sow generously reap generously. And then he says this, each one of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves... What kind of giver? Who knows? A cheerful giver. Somebody who has joy in their heart as they give. Now last week, I announced that we're moving ahead with plans to build the remaining portion of our master plan. And you can see the pictures out in the lobby, the um, footprint, the floor plan of that space is about 9,500 square feet. And we really do need more space. On Sunday mornings, we're using every available place for children's classes, the nursery is full. On Wednesday nights, there's just no space to expand our Awana ministry or expand our classes for, for adults. And last week, I told you this, that in order to pay for this new construction and to pay off our debt, we're launching a capital stewardship campaign. Now, if you were here last week, we gave you some information on a sheet of paper. This Sunday, we've got some more information, and it's called FAQs, Frequently Asked Questions. And so when you go out the doors after the service, make sure you get one of these so you can check it out. But let me just read this answer to a question. What is a capital stewardship campaign? It's a church project that seeks pledged donations from members of the congregation to be used in paying for a major project. In our case, to build ministry space and to retire debt. Now, as we go through this adventure together, this stewardship campaign, we're going to be talking about giving And I want you to think about this. If I were to ask you, why would you invest in one business over another? What would you say? I suspect many of you would say, well, I want to know that this business has growth potential. I want to know that this business is going to be here next year and 10 years from now and, and down the road. I want it to be a business that has a firm what? Foundation. You see, as a smart investor, you're concerned about the return on your investment. Now, when Jesus says, Store up treasure in heaven. How do you do that, practically speaking? And here's the answer. By investing in God's kingdom here and now. Because when you invest in God's kingdom, there is enormous growth potential. When you invest in God's kingdom, you know that God's kingdom is going to be here next year and 10 years from now and 100 years from now and a gazillion years from now because his kingdom will never end. And friends, listen. When you invest in God's kingdom, you can never lose your investment because God's purposes will always prevail. And his purpose affects your life and the lives of those you love because here's God's purpose. He wants to give you an entirely different kind of life as you embrace Jesus Christ as your king. We started the service this morning with a song and the lyrics say this, how firm a foundation, what comfort and peace. I am found in the arms of Jesus my king and when Jesus comes to our world he says I am a king in fact you remember when the wise men were searching for baby Jesus what was his title King of the Jews this little child was born to be a king and there was another king King Herod who wanted to destroy him and so there was a clash between kingdoms and Jesus grows up and he launches this enterprise Of building the kingdom of God. And he says, Hey, the king is here. And here's what I want you to do I want you to repent and believe the good news of the kingdom. Now, when we talk about the word repent, it simply means to change your mind and agree with God. And Jesus made it real clear that all of us have a heart problem. We're born into this world with a heart that pulls us away from God and away from his purpose. And the Bible is clear that all of us have sinned, we've broken God's commands. Because God says, love me with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. We don't do that. And God says, well, because you've broken my commands, there is a consequence. We know what that is. The Bible says that the wages of sin is what? Death. A physical, a spiritual death. A separation from God that will last forever unless God does something. And God has. He sent the king. And we need to understand that Jesus is not just an ordinary king. Jesus is a righteous king. He completely obeys God's commands. He lives a perfect life, and Jesus is not only a righteous king, he's a suffering king, he's a servant king, and he lays down his life for us. Listen, Jesus was never the victim of circumstance. He voluntarily allows himself to be arrested, to be beaten, to be crucified, and on that cross, God the Father is willing to do this, to take your sin and mine, and put our sin on Jesus. The wrath of God that we deserved is poured out on Christ, and he dies in our place. But Jesus is not just a righteous king. He's not just a, a suffering king. He is a victorious king and he rises from the dead. So you can't build your foundation on somebody who's dead. They have to be alive. And Jesus Christ is the victorious king. And he says, look, come into my kingdom. I want to give you an entirely different kind of life, but you've got to do this. You've got to embrace me as your king. You've got to trust me. You've got to take my teaching And put it into practice in your life. Because if you don't, you will erode the foundation of your life. And we've talked about these areas of compromise. One was what? what? What did the letter P stand for? Power. What did the M stand for? Okay, what do you think the S stands for? You can say it in church. I know what you're thinking. It is the word sex and marriage. And we're going to talk about that because this is an area of great compromise. In June of this year, there was breaking news in our nation about a ruling by the U.S. Supreme Court. One article said, in a long-sought victory for the gay rights movement, the Supreme Court ruled by a 5-4 to four vote on Friday that the Constitution guarantees a right to same-sex marriage. Well... What does Jesus have to say about marriage? Let's take a look at these verses. This is in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 19. Some Pharisees came to him, came to Jesus to test him. They asked, uh, Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now, I want you to think very carefully about Jesus' response and what it means for us today. Haven't you read, he replied. Now, what is Jesus referring to? Haven't they read what? What? Yeah, the Old Testament scriptures. Haven't you read the Old Testament scriptures, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator, who's that a reference to? God, the creator, made them male and female. Who is Jesus referring to now? Yeah, two real people, not mythological figures. Adam and Eve. And said, who said? God said, right? He's the creator, and said... For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Church, listen carefully. When we compromise what Jesus taught about marriage and sex, we erode the foundation of our lives and of our nation. But not everybody believes that. I know quite a few people who don't believe that. You probably know some people as well. And so the question is, if, if you do believe that, if you do believe that Jesus wants us, in fact commands us, to live our lives according to all of his teaching, how do you respond to them? And the Bible gives us some very clear guidance. Look at this verse in 1 Peter Peter says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. What does it mean to revere Christ as Lord? It means to align your life with the teaching of Jesus Christ. So once you do that, you you revere Christ as Lord, you make a commitment to obey all of Christ's teaching. Notice this next statement. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. You see, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and your commitment is to live according to all of the teaching of Jesus, and we don't do that perfectly, But there's a commitment. Every time we fall down, we get up and we recommit to living Jesus' way in every area of our lives. When you do that, you are building your life on what kind of foundation? A rock-solid foundation, and that gives you hope because you know this. It doesn't matter what storm comes into your life. You're going to be okay because you're built on the solid foundation of Christ and his teaching. And people notice that. And the assumption is people are going to come to you and say, hey, man, Why do you have hope? So you have a chance to give them the reason. And it's a person. His name is Jesus. But how do we respond? Notice this. But do this. Give this reason for your hope. How? With gentleness and respect. Why is it? Because we should care about people. All kinds of people. Regardless of their lifestyle. Regardless of whether they have made a decision to follow Jesus or not. We're to love them. And to explain our faith in Christ with gentleness and respect, with a hope that they too will know that God loves them and decide to follow Jesus. A few years ago, I was teaching a class at Spanish River Church, and it was in their seminary program. I was talking about obeying the teaching of Christ in every area of life. And there was a couple that came up to me after the class um, a man and a woman and they said can we talk to you for a few minutes I said sure and they told me that they were both Christians but that they had been living together for a number of of months and the reason they were doing that is because it was just advantageous financially that's how they put it and they said but when you were teaching tonight and talking about the fact that if you're serious about following Jesus, you need to be serious about taking his teaching and putting it into practice in every area of your lives. We looked at each other, and it hit us really hard. And I said, well, what do you want to do? And this was their response. Would you marry us as soon as possible? And it was really almost humorous, because I said, well, yeah, sure, let's, let's figure out how to do that. I went to my office church office, and they showed up the next day, unannounced, and said, hey, can you marry us? And I said, well, do you have a date in mind? And they said, what about right here, right now? So, okay, let's, uh, let's figure this out, and we did, and it was a wonderful experience, and I remember right there in the church office, I performed this wedding, I, that's the one and only wedding I've ever done in a church office, and I remember when I said, I now pronounce you husband and wife. I looked at them, and in their eyes, I could see not only the sense of relief, but a sense of joy because they knew that they were doing what pleased Jesus. And that was such a powerful experience. And church, um, there's something that I, um, I did in first service, and I want to do it again because it really helps us understand the fact that God wants us to connect with our culture without compromise. So could I get a couple of volunteers? Like, you know, three or four people just to come stand right here really fast? Come on. David, you can come. Whoever, come on, let's go. Griffin, whatever. Okay? All right, we've got four guys. <laughs> Quatro amigos. All right. Now, here's, here's what I want to do. Um, I've got some cups here, some coffee cups, and uh, I want you to pick one. Your choice, okay? We've got some really cool-looking coffee cups, a Christmas cup, a cow cup, one from Honduras, a Starbucks cup. Okay, good deal. Now, everybody has the cup they want, right? Now, I've got some water over here. And uh, just turn toward me so I can pour some water in your cup. All right? Good deal. All right. All right, mostly in the cup. Now, here's here's the analogy. And, and I want to do this because I really want you to get this. Let's say that this water is the gospel. This is God's truth, right? Can I pour God's truth into different containers so that people will pick it up and drink it? Can I do that? Well, here's what I mean. A container could be a movie, right? As a container of truth. A sermon could be a container of truth. A blog on the internet. A story, a one-on-one story that I share with Chris. That would be the container in which I have poured God's truth. I poured the gospel. Now, here's the thing. What if I... Change the water. What if I contaminate the water? It changes everything, doesn't it? And this is what's happening in America today. People are compromising the truth. They're compromising the gospel. And here's why. Because they want people to pick up the cup. Friends, we don't need to compromise the truth of Jesus Christ. We find ways to connect creatively with our culture without compromise. That is the mission that Christ has given us. And that's what will make a church strong. Thanks, guys. Let's give them a hand. Now let me point out one final way that we can build a solid foundation, a solid foundation for our lives. Number four, teach others how to build a strong foundation for their lives. Now, this is what Jesus said. He came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That's our mission, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey most of the things that I've commanded you. What does it say? Everything. Everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you to the end of the age. One of the things that I'm really, really thankful for here at our church is we have a ton of kids. I mean, that is so exciting for me. We have a ton of teenagers. And I think about this. We have an opportunity early on in their lives to teach them what Jesus taught. Now here's what's really important. We need to teach our kids why they should follow, why they should obey what Jesus taught. And listen, when you do that, you don't start with the rules. You start with the heart and the character of God. You know, it's exciting to me because we have little babies in the nursery and, and I hear the people in the nursery talking to these kids and singing to these little children about God's love for them. And that's where it starts, understanding that God is a father who loves you and wants what's best for you. And because he wants what's best for you, he's given you some rules to live by. In fact, they're they're 10. And they're not suggestions, are they? They're the 10 what? Commandments. Now, here's what happens. People often think, you know, I hate rules. I hate commands because they kind of restrict my life and my lifestyle. Have you ever heard that? If I become a Christian, I'm going to have to give up my friends, my fun, and my freedom. And people say, I'm not sure I want to do that. But here's what people don't clearly understand. It is in following the commands of Christ that we find true freedom. Remember the time that um, people came to Jesus and said, hey, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus said, really, there's two. One, love God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. He was summarizing the Ten Commandments. Because the first four commandments deal with our relationship with God and the next six deal with our relationship with people. Now, who can tell me the first commandment? Does anybody know? Okay, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, stated in a different way, you could say it this way. um, If you love God, put him first in your life. Don't have anything else in front of God if you love him the way he wants to be loved. And what about this? You know, the commands that affect our relationships with others... Thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not do this, and thou shalt not do that. Well, actually, those are ways to express love because if you love your neighbor, don't mess with their husband or their wife. If you love your neighbor, don't steal their stuff. If you love your neighbor, don't tell lies about them. Jesus was dead on when he said, look, here's a summary of the law, love God and love each other. And and here's, this is something I'm so passionate about. When we teach kids about God's law and about God's commands, we need to help them see that they're good. They're good. They don't put you in handcuffs. They lead you to freedom because this God that made you, he knows what's best for you. He wants what's best for you. And he wants to keep you from making choices that are going to hurt you and hurt those you love. And here's something else. You know, as a parent, have your kids ever asked you, why, why do I have to do that? Why is that a rule? Ever run into that, moms and dads? And here's what, here's what we have to be careful not to do. You can't take the rule and divorce it from the rule giver. You can't just take the relationship out of the equation. If you think about King David in the Old Testament, he makes this crazy statement. He says, I love the law. And you go, what? You love rules? Who loves rules? And in Psalm 119, it's all about how much he loves God's law. I love your law. I meditate on it day and night. Well, Why? And here's the answer. King David loves the law because he loves the lawgiver. And doesn't that make sense? Because he loves God, he wants to please God. In fact, in Psalm 119, he says this I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. I remember one time I was at a, a seminar that was conducted by Josh McDowell. How many of you know that name? He was talking to parents of teenagers and he said this rules without a relationship leads to rebellion and man that got my attention rules without a relationship leads to rebellion and I thought about this imagine a whole generation of kids who had a relationship with Jesus that kept them from rebellion what if we had a whole generation of kids that grew up in a church that taught the truth about God's law and God's love. What if we had a whole generation of kids who were serious about taking the teaching of Jesus and putting it into practice in every area of their lives? What if we had a whole generation of kids who refused to compromise what God said despite the pressure from their friends or anybody else? Can you imagine what that would look like? And church, here's what I get really excited about a building project. You heard me say this last week, buildings don't change lives, but what happens inside them does. And I can remember when I was, I was standing on a pile of dirt about where you're sitting there. And there was no building here. And I thought, you know, someday people are going to be sitting here on a Sunday morning and there's going to be an opportunity to teach what Jesus taught and that's going to transform lives. And it's going to help people build their life on a solid foundation. And I got so excited about a building because of what would happen inside. And just this past week, I went over and I stood in the grass over here where our new building addition is going to be. And I was just imagining... What was going to happen? And I, I remember last week, my wife, Chris, was talking about you know, the, the future um, idea of having a preschool. And I was thinking, you know, all these little kids learning about Jesus and what he taught. And see, that's happening right now as I speak. We've got teenagers and kids in this building that are learning what Jesus taught and how to put it into practice in their lives. Can you imagine the difference it would make If our kids had a foundation that could weather any storm. And church, let me just say this real quickly as well. When it comes to our kids, parents, we want to be a resource to you as as your church. We want to encourage you and pray for you and support you and, and all of those things. But realize this, the bottom line responsibility for teaching your children about God and about Jesus doesn't belong to the youth pastor. Doesn't belong to the Sunday school teacher. It belongs to you. And here's what I want us to do as a church I want us to work together to teach our kids. I want us to build our lives, to build our families, to build our church on the one foundation that will never fail the foundation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that your word is so powerful and so true. And we compromise it at our own peril, God. We know that. And I just want to pray this morning, Lord, as we think about our lives, help us to see those places that we're reluctant or even unwilling to take what Jesus said and put it into practice. God, change our hearts creating us a love for Jesus that is so strong that it changes what we believe and what we do. And God as a church, Lord, you know this is my prayer all the time. I want us to be strong, really strong, to stand against the currents of culture. But at the same time, God, not to isolate ourselves, not to withdraw because there's work to do in this place and in this generation. So God, give us an incredible love for people not just the people in our church family, but people who are lost and people who are far from God and people who disagree with us. God, help us to love them the way you do so that we might share the hope that we have with gentleness and respect. And God, as we bring the service to a close, we just want to thank you that that our Lord, our Savior, our Master, our King is alive. We have a hope built on a living foundation and therefore we have been born again to a living hope. And we celebrate that today in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.